Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Scott Rudensky of Pulley. We talked about Who's Who's 1984 album, Zen Arcade. If you're new to the pod, just know we talk about a lot of different things and don't really stay on topic. That's just what we do here. Scott's a person that has a lot of history in music and sports, so trying to distill it all into one hour is a wild task. But with that said, we talk about Who's Who's growing up in the L.A. area, and balancing his love of music with his love of professional baseball. More on that. Pulley has a new album, The Golden Life, out now, and it's great. So pick that up from the band or your local record store. They are currently on tour with Bad Religion and have upcoming shows with Pennywise across Europe and then Canadian dates in June. All right, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month and get an exclusive episode every week. It really immensely helps. Uh, There's a lot of costs that are associated with doing a podcast, so supporting our Patreon if you love what we do means so much. Okay, don't want to hold you too long, but just got to say again, it was a huge honor to talk to Scott. As you'll hear me tell him, Pulley was a huge deal for me as a kid, and as was the Punkarama comps. But concurrently, so was baseball. So Scott was a huge role model for me. Well, anywho, let's get to the chat with Scott. Hey, Scott, how's it going? It's going great, man. Another sunny day in California and uh, just getting ready to go eat some dinner pretty soon. Well, we're going to cut into your dinner a little bit, I guess. First, we're going to talk about Husker Du's 1984 album, Zen Arcade. That was released on July 1st. It was recorded in 1983 by Spot. And what I'll ask, uh, when was the first time you heard Husker Du or this specific album? Well, the first time I heard Husker Du would probably be somewhere more closer to 82, maybe late 81. Um, and the first time I heard this record actually was um, we were we were getting ready to go on a tour, believe it or mm-hmm. not. Um, and I think somebody had a, a cassette you know you had to record off your phone on or uh, record off a record onto a cassette so we had that we had i know we had that we had double nickels on the dime which was released mm-hmm. around the same time by sst and um and then like i don't know if it was an early version of loose nut or we had a couple of songs that ended up on loose nut somehow in our possession which was pretty cool Wow, well, yeah because loose nut um I'm trying to think. That would have come out in 85, I believe. I think so. I could have. I just know it's after My War. My War's 84. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, I mean, I wonder if that was the... Have you heard the... Um, it's like the five-piece Black Flag recordings that kind of has a lot of, like, My War stuff, but it was, like, essentially, like, uh, Dez was still in the band, was, like, the point of it it's like a bootleg that circulates around it's so it's like my war era stuff and then even some later things that might not be what you had but and those are original songs those are original songs i mean they're 
kind of i mean they're recorded almost almost just as well as any of the black flag stuff ever were um cool yeah they're really interesting because you get like a kind of thicker version of a lot of the my war recordings uh i haven't heard in a while but it and also kind of like sketches of like later songs so gotcha um it's it's pretty unique but you know but we're not talking about black flag today (laughs) but you know i could do it super easily with that i mean either one we could switch back and forth so so yeah, that that kind of like going on tour and kind of I guess getting the tapes ready because that's like how it used to be. I guess I remember early tours. It's like you burned a lot of CDs. So, okay. You know that's the you know so it's kind of you know I guess the same thing in general where it's like you had to load up because you had, had to load up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So I guess what do you remember thinking like with the so comparing comparing the early who's crew stuff to like zen arcade did you feel a shift there or like what was your impression of it as opposed to the earlier work i i think i did um you know to be honest with you the first thing that stood out to me was i thought the artwork was really cool and more than anything it was a double album and there was mm-hmm. no such thing as a punk rock record back then that was a double album. So that that was kind of like the wow, there's two records in here. That was pretty yeah. cool. Um, you know, even in some of the earlier Husker stuff, the the guitar always stood out. You know, Bob's sound, his tone always stood out. But on this particular record, and then of course as they evolved, it, it even got bigger. But um, I just always loved how that guitar just kind of was in your you know, in your face and, and, and crisp. And then the songwriting, I definitely think got a little more along the lines of, you know, um, there was definitely more melody and it was more clear mm-hmm. clarity in the melody. Cause there, there some earlier stuff was melodic as well. You could tell that that was in there. Um, they weren't a typical LA hardcore band for me or yeah. they weren't really like a, you know, what I had, you know, the SST bands as time went on, got a little, little weirder i mean i guess not weirder but more obscure uh you know mm-hmm. compared to like what a black flag would have been but <clears throat> you know a concept record for a punk rock band in 1984 a double record with uh it was just it there was a lot of music to listen to and 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 i remember hearing a i don't know if it's the third or fourth song or maybe even the fifth song um so not something I learned today is or never going to hear it. Never talking to you again. It was. Yeah. Acoustic, that's the third acoustic, song. Yeah. Right? And I hadn't heard like anybody do that yet. That was, you know, back then that was, you couldn't, that was unheard of. So mm-hmm. they, they were definitely, I thought in a sense, kind of taking chances and, and going in, in directions in that record that they hadn't done before. And they were showing that they weren't afraid. And, 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 you know, I guess looking back, you kind of, you kind of realize like, that record, when it opened up, it kind of opened the door for a lot of us who who ended up down the road playing melodic music, going for that rich, thick guitar tone, singing melody. Um, and then, you know, God knows how many alternative rock bands that had to have been influenced by Husker Du over, yeah. over the next couple of years in that period from 84, 87, somewhere in there. I mean, because they put out some music that, had to have opened the ears up to a lot of future musicians. Yeah, like if it wasn't for Who's Crew and Replacements, it's like easily there wouldn't be like a band like Goo Goo Dolls, you know. Um, and yeah, and even I guess as it you 
went on your journey from going from like scared straight into, you know, 10 foot pole and, uh, pulley, it had to have been something that kind of changed the landscape, you know, even like what we know with it, the kind of story that you always hear is like, even Minutemen heard an early version of Zen Arcade and were like, oh shit, we have to step our game up. So then you got those two records. I, I, I think what I'm getting at is like, I can't imagine getting both of those records new in the same year. Like they feel like such a compliment, you know. Two double records in the same year yeah. by two pretty incredible bands. Um, you know, being a little more fortunate out here, the Minutemen were on a lot of gigs, punk rock gigs. You know, you could see the Minutemen with the Descendants. You could see them with Black Flag, and and I wasn't really old enough to go to all the gigs, but I got to go to a lot of the bigger ones, and you know, I wasn't like closed minded. I was really intrigued by the way they played as well. And, and, and you're right. I mean, to get two records in the same year, both double albums on the same label, it's pretty monumental right there. And, 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 um, you know, you talk about the journey and the melodic journey, you know, over the course of time, I I don't think we ever had the balls to, to go for it and, and, play on a slower now we do but but to play like a slower you know a beat behind some melody it was wasn't in our world it wasn't really ex- we weren't ready to do that at that time but it, mm-hmm. but it was really refreshing to hear like there was a punk edge but there was also like a real like what we had grown up on like that rock kind of sound you know that 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 backbone beat and and um there are three pretty good players as well. I don't, I don't know if they were as good back. Then. Obviously they weren't as good back then as they are now, but they were, they were a lot better than we were. So they were yeah. something we looked up to for sure. Yeah. And do you feel like, uh, like thinking about you going on tour around that time, that would have been scared straight, I believe. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so do you feel like it did listening to that record, did listening to Zen Arcade, did it like change the way you all approach songwriting, I guess you're almost saying no, because you were like kind of afraid to well, do that or did it, I, you know, I say no in the sense of the tempos. Um, definitely mm-hmm. okay. like the song structure and the way they went from, you know, a verse to a, to a pre-chorus to a chorus, or, you know, they're very simple. I thought they kept their, their music relatively simple, mm-hmm. but there was just, it was in my mind, it was saturated with melody. And, and, you know, you don't really often see a lot of bands I guess there is, but at the time where there was two singers, two different songwriters, and you could really distinctly tell the difference between, you know, the two styles. And yeah, and that, that was always cool too. And, and to see a drummer, you know, to see, to see Grant singing, it's, it's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like always think about that kind of like journey. Cause I've listened to, and I believe I've heard, uh, like other interviews you've done, but a lot of the conversations around punk at that time, it was almost like you were raised on, let's say like Aerosmith or whatever it is. And then there was like a point with a lot of the hardcore kids in the early eighties that they were like, I need to put all this away because I'm into punk now with some some of the, uh, some of the attitudes around it, especially in like the early eighties. So, so what you're saying, just kind of supporting with what you're saying about, uh, you know, like it was unheard of. Like there was, it was such a, I feel like it would have been a divide. Like, oh, I'm a punk kid now, but like here, here's an acoustic song. So I guess that's why it would have been strange. Exactly. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and 
to, to, to further what you were just mentioning, I, I can think of a lot of friends that I knew. I can remember, I can remember some guys taking, you know, some Zeppelin records, um, Song Remains the Same, and literally throwing the records like a Frisbee and watching them break because oh, I'm getting rid of this shit now. And I'm glad I never did that with my record collection um, because, you know, at the time, I don't know, was I 15, 14, 15? And, you know, you don't know what you're doing when you're that age. You don't, you, yeah. You, I, we got into like hardcore punk and we were cutting our hair and buying clothes from the Salvation Army or whatever. And it was like, we weren't going to like mainstream anymore. We weren't going to like the rock world. We weren't going to like society and we were going to rebel against everything. And part of that was not, uh, you know, accepting or recognizing what we used to listen to. And, and, um, I always had a, uh, probably sounds cheesy, but like, I've always had like a soft spot in me, you know, growing up, I, I, I heard a lot of music in the early seventies. And if you listen to a lot of the music from the early seventies, it is a lot of, guitar picking a lot of like the birds Crosby stills and Nash America bands like that who did play acoustic guitars and did have melodic songs like that. And so it was, it was, uh, on that particular song, it was, wow, this is cool. I, I, it just, I knew it was good at the time. Um, maybe kept my opinions to myself because it wasn't fast and thrash, you know, you, you didn't want to like bum out your friends, but, um, and that's dumb. But that's what you are when you're 14 mm-hmm. or 15. Yeah, that's what you are. You know? Um, yeah. But God, I just, um, I knew then how those songs impacted me and how they hit me. And, and and I wasn't quite there as a musician personally yet. I didn't know how to write music like that. I didn't know how to sing like that. But I know over time when I did start playing the guitar and I was looking for that sound or I did start writing or, or singing especially, I would bet you that a lot, not just Zen Arcade, but there's a lot of Husker Du songs that I pulled from, you know, melody. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not stole, but but it was somewhere back here in the back of my head to where when I was writing something, it just came out and, and made it a lot easier for me. That's for sure. You know, uh, them opening a, a side of my brain that you could play and have this attitude, but you could also still have a good song. And a real song yeah and and that's kind of what it meant to me and you know once again it's like a drummer singing three musicians playing you know quality music it was it was loose and tight it it, it just it was raw and and it and yeah it stuck with me you know yeah yeah how do you feel like so you were kind of saying like you kept your opinions to yourself. Like, do you feel like there was a divide in uh, your community? I guess with other punks, like, was it like people were like, "Oh, I don't like Zen Arcade," or how how was it received from your memory? You know, Husker Du was. Uh, I think there was a lot of ignorant jock type guys, you know, that were getting into punk rock at the time that probably really didn't know they were more like into like the black flag wasted youth you know the the some of the more violent fear some of the you know circle jerks the bands mm-hmm. that you know were in, in our area i don't think they really even knew who bands like that were um there was a drummer that that we had at the time he's a cartoonist brian walsby and he was so into the the obscure sst stuff and he opened up a whole world for me of 
of, you know, different types of bands, St. Vitus and a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't have listened to um, or, or I might've listened to, but it wouldn't have like continued to. And, and I can remember sitting in his room and, and we would listen to all this really cool music. We could listen to, you know, a, a band like Husker Du and then listen to a band like Minor Threat and jump off his bed and stage dive and it was all cool. But I don't know if there was a divide uh, as much as just a, a lack of knowledge, you know, because mm -hmm. unless you read Maximum Rock and Roll or you read fanzines, you really didn't know of any of these bands unless you bought a record and on the insert, you know, like on a Rise Above album, you'd see, you know, a, 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 an ad for other records on SST, you know, and, and, and that's kind of or damaged album. I'm sorry. That's the way it would work, you know, and and so music's a lot easier now to 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 listen to and to to search for i mean i i can remember going into record stores and 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 when i said that i thought the artwork was cool was you buy records just on what the artwork looked like you knew it was like a, an import bin of like punk rock music and you know you could tell like a a gbh record or a discharge record or something or exploited you know some of those had some good graphics a black flag record um but some of the stuff it's hard to it's hard to know what it's going to sound like you don't know and and you're basically taking a gamble and i didn't have a job i didn't have a lot of money so you know buying a record it was like man if i buy a record right now I'm probably not going to get another one for a couple months so you had to make good choices and it was tough to tell back then you know and, and you basically or i did a lot of that was based on a cover in itself and and, um, and and granted, there were bands you were we were I was aware of, um, and I'd I'd heard or or wanted to go out and get you know music from, but it was just a different world. It was just a different world, and you, and you know you couldn't you couldn't have that uh you couldn't do that research, you know. So I don't know if I don't know where I'm yeah. going with that answer, but no 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 yeah I love that. Uh, so did you ever get to see Husker Du? I did. Um, I saw him in. Uh, really nice theater in, in at UCLA, some sort of like hall they had there. Um, and I went with the guy I mentioned, Brian, we drove down there. I, I honestly don't even remember who else played or who opened, but I just remember, uh, I wasn't familiar with every song at the time, but I knew a few of them. And I remember standing on Bob's side of the stage. I want to say it would have been, if I'm facing the stage, he, he's playing stage left. And it was just Marshalls and it just sounded wow. insane. And it was just, it was all about the guitar. I mean, that's what it was all. Yeah. That's what, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what it sounded like. And, and of course, you know, an amazing drummer um, seemed like he's beating the crap out of the drums. Um, and that was, that was the first time I'd ever saw, you know, other than watching like night Ranger or something on MTV. That's the first time I ever saw a drummer in that genre singing. And as we inched our way, because it was pretty mellow, it was a, it was definitely not the typical uh, scene that would go to a, a circle jerk show or something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was like a, more of an arty type scene, you know, and, and it was cool, man, because we could get close to the stage and there was no worry about, you know, getting your head cracked in by someone jumping off with a pair of boots or something. So I just remember being able to stand, you know, within two or three people of the, of the front of the stage and, 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 and actually watch and enjoy it. And I just remember being really loud 
and the guitars were ringing through and I had my eyes on the drummer. I, I, I want to say I was playing drums still at the time. And I remember watching him play and, and yeah, it was, it was a, it was a good memory for sure. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm glad I got to see him. I wish I was more familiar with him at the time. I wasn't, and I never had a chance to see him again. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So, and, uh, I guess like, you know, skipping ahead just cause I'm curious, like, uh, did you ever get to see like sugar? Not sugar, but I've seen Bob mold. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's still he's still just kicking ass kicking all these years. Ass. Later. We we actually just did some shows two weeks ago, and um, we had this like Sprinter van, and we were driving up to Northern California, and I think my phone had some sort of Bluetooth to connect to the to the stereo in this van, so I'm I'm sitting there driving, and I've got my hands down here, and I'm trying to with one hand, and I'm, I'm googling Bob Mould, and we listened to a couple of the couple of his new recent or more recent uh releases and I, I don't know if the drummer in the back was super familiar with him or not but he's like what's this it's pretty good you know it's like yeah you can, and, and you, you can barely ever hear him it's usually the music's overpowering the vocals you know you can't really the voice doesn't really stand out on a bob mold record you know yeah but you can hear it back there and you can hear the melody but the guitars and the music are just kicking ass like you said and and, and he's still doing it man it sounds amazing right now Sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So um, I'm actually going to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago. So you were talking about Brian Walsby, and he's actually been a fixture in the North Carolina scene for a long time. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting. I've, I've heard the connection for a long time, but I guess like jogging my memory on it. So you played music with Brian Walsby, correct? Correct. Brian grew up in the same hometown. He lived about two blocks away from me and I was in a band before scared straight, same guys, but a different name. It was called SOF. And we joined a battle of the bands at a local roller rink to play. And we were playing against like bands like journey and all these other kind of type bands. Right. And after we got done playing, I don't think Brian knew who we were or heard of us. He just went to go see live music because he was into it. And he sat on the stage and he, you know, introduced himself to us and he started drawing stuff and we were all blown away. Like, wow, this guy, and next thing you know, one thing led to another and we just started hanging out and becoming friends. And I had maybe just got my license a couple months later. And so we started venturing out to gigs together and I started driving him and that was like his first exposure. He had known about this scene and known about all these bands, but he had never been to shows. So that's kind of how it started with him. And then eventually he was a drummer and eventually, you know, over the course of time, it just, it, it came to a point where, you know, we needed a drummer and Brian stepped in and played. We recorded a, a few records with him, see a few songs, you know, a seven inch and a couple of compilation songs from mystic records. And, and then Brian was in the band when we were on tour and we played a show in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at this place called the electric banana. And we went back to the promoter's house and spent the night. And when we woke up in the morning, everything was gone. And so we kind of made a decision between us and the other band we were with. Let's trudge on to the next city, which was Baltimore, Maryland. Let's go play the gig on all borrowed equipment, guitars, drumsticks, everything. We had nothing, no clothes, nothing. Everything in this mm. vehicle got taken. Wow. So, uh, 
we played the show in Baltimore and it was like, eh, it wasn't, we were like, let's just, let's just put our head between our legs and just go home. You know, this is, this is not going to happen. And Brian was, had been writing back and forth with the guys in COC. And I guess he made a phone call and said, Hey, uh, we're here in Baltimore and looks like they're heading home and I don't want to go home yet. So can I come down there? And I think they said to him, Hey, we're driving up to go see the bad brains tomorrow in New York. We'll pick you up on the way. And that's turned into 30 years for him. Yeah. And, wow. That's, that's and he's so wild. Still there. Yeah. And I feel, cause I feel like I've, that really like kind of was the puzzle piece in the stories I've heard. I don't think I've heard it put that way. Cause I've heard, I think, uh, his perspective on it. And I think you just kind of like filled in the hole there from yours. That's really interesting. Cause he's definitely been like a person that's loom large in the North Carolina, North Carolina scene oh, yeah. for so many years with like double negative And yeah. even, you know, before that with like snake nation with, yeah, you know, kind of talking yeah. about playing. Yeah. So, you know, that's where that ended up, you know, and him playing with like Ryan Adams at some point too. So all, all of that kind of history that there, you know, that, oh, that's really interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I guess like going back to thinking about um, you getting into Who's Do around this time. So what other bands do you feel like this kind of led you into like liking were, were you a big like replacements guy or did that come later or yeah, that, i really wasn't i think that came later for me you know uh mm-hmm. i think who's good just the fact that they were on sst it exposed me and you know that was one of the only punk labels at the time and you kind of figured like well it's on sst that's black flags label i'm gonna get it and that's kind of yeah. how it worked you know yeah it, it did feel like especially with zen arcade it kind of felt like Husker Du were trying to push the parameters of punk and something like replacements were like, well, we don't really need it. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily how they felt about it, but then it just started feeling like a rock band, which is cool. But it's like Husker Du were like, what can we do within the confines of it that and it still is punk? Like how far can we push it and it still be that in a way? That That's what I felt about them was... Um, they kind of stuck to that original formula. They were never a fast thrash band. They have some faster songs. Um, but they were like, they weren't, they weren't, I don't want to use the word selling out, but they weren't going to like cross the line and go totally commercial. Or it didn't, mm-hmm. didn't sound like it. Even, even their stuff on Warner brothers really isn't like commercial. It's still got some edge to it. It's just a little more polished and, you know, that in itself right there, I mean, that opened the door for how many bands to, to, I mean, who was, who was signed to a major label before the replacements maybe? Did they sign to a major label? Yeah, well, they yeah, they went to Sire, but I think even that way, I think it's just, they kind of had already planted the flag to be like, we are a rock and roll sure. band, or at least that's what kind of history kind of tells. I never felt you know, that so, way about who's going to do though. No, so it, you know, I can't, there are like little pockets of time frames that I feel like are the the major label comes in, but all I can think of there was like a lot of bands in like the Boston scene in the mid eighties, but I don't feel like they identified really as like being we're like we're punks. Like that kind of scene of like the Del Fuegos and 
uh, in, like Dump Truck. A lot, a lot of those bands kind of went into had like major label years, but it were it wasn't like they were like hardcore punk bands, right? You know, they kind of started almost as a response to not probably not even Husker Du. It's almost like whatever Husker Du was listening to potentially were the same things that were influencing those kind of bands. So all that to say, like there was like a major label boom, but not really things that came from like punk explicitly, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm trying to think, I mean, I guess black flag had their little time frame of being on a quote unquote major label, but I still feel like they retained so much of it uh, within SST. And we all know how the unicorn thing ended up going down so i i that's not really an an example of kind of that major label transition either right you know so so yeah and i guess like as as you went into you know like uh scare straight and then into 10 foot pole and then pulley like did you ever have like your own kind of dalliance with being courted by major labels or how did that kind of work in i guess more we'll say pop punk scene as that evolved into yeah i mean it was never anything that we were ever approached by i mean i think epitaphs probably considered a major label you know in our, in our, yeah, in our yeah. world you know I and mean, we did five records with that and i don't know what it's like to be on a major label but i know what it's like to be on a really good one and yeah. you know very grateful for that opportunity yeah and, and i know a lot of times where the conversations end up going um and i, I want to kind of take it there how do you feel like liking punk? Because I read something online today that was like you played like punk music when you were in the bullpen, you know, with like playing. Like, was it really like that? Or how did people, how was it received like you bringing something like Husker Du into, let's say, like playing with the Dodgers or even before that, you know? Um, well, I had headphones. And so, okay. so, so bringing it in was like, eh, it probably really never happened. Um, I'd listen, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sit out there. It's, it's kind of sport where like you show up, you wait around, you go out on the field for a little bit, you come back in, you sit around, you wait around, you wait to go back out again. And then the game starts. And as my role in, in the game as a relief pitcher, once the game starts, you're sitting out there for another couple hours. So I've been to the ballpark now since one o'clock in the afternoon. And I've been on the field for about an hour and a hour, hour and a half of time while we're working. Now it's seven o'clock and the game starts. And now I'm sitting out in the bullpen for another two hours waiting for the phone to ring. So there was times when I wanted to just like kind of shut off from the world. I'd put on my headphones and, and I'd listen to, you know, I had to bring out CDs. We're in like the mid nineties. And, and um, so I can remember having like a little disc man, and, and bringing CDs with me and like a little little bag of some sort with some CDs in it. And I, I can remember putting my hand in the bag and not knowing what I was going to grab out and just open it up and randomly pull it out and then put it in the thing and listen. And then, I, you know, I'd ha I wouldn't see it. And I'd hit play and I'd have my I'd have my headphones on. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to be listening to the adolescents right now. And it was, mm -hmm. it was cool. It was like a surprise, like what's behind door number three kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I guess it was almost like uh, you could be punk in your own time. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty good yeah. at separating two worlds. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't really get – there was a couple people I'd talked to that were kind of showed a little bit of interest, but no, nah, I didn't – I didn't really, like, share a whole lot because it was just kind of a different scene and there really was no interest on their part. So 
And I get super excited yeah. when I'm talking about it. So I don't want to like talk to some guy who really didn't care, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we all get like that feeling, you know, it's like if, if my dad or something were to ask her like, Oh, what do you, you know, it's, it feels like the same conversation. It's like, you have to, you have to explain so much to even get to the point of like that understanding. It's, it's yeah. Someone's eyes are yeah. definitely going to be glazed over. So yeah. you kind of keep it to yourself. But I, I liked how that thing that I read, um, it was like an article. It almost made it like you were just like, you know, moshing in, in the thing. And I was like, I can't imagine that yeah. being the case because, yeah. you know, cause it's just like, not anything I've heard of you. Like, you know, it's like a polite guy that feels like you've done, you know, it, it was just a funny image of me, like thinking of you kind of like stomping I, around. I, you know, as, doing as, a, as, a, as a coach with the Indians, it was pretty cool. I was, I was a bullpen coach for a few years and the guys, as I became a coach later on, it seemed like easier to talk about with players than it was when I was a player with fellow teammates, because these guys were more, Green Day had already broke the offspring, you know, there was, there was metal and, you know, fat, you know, serious radio, satellite radio and things that like people were a little more exposed to the internet. So when the pitcher, which the starting pitcher would finish warming up and he'd walk out to go to the, to go to the dugout to start the game, I would like, we would all like do a little fist pump, you know, before the game, but in a little circle and I would like, kind of like do this and they would all bounce around and we'd have a, like a little, 10 second little slam pit before the game would start. But that wasn't when I was a player. That was years later as a, as a coach, but that was, yeah. it was like in good fun. It wasn't really a, anything scripted. Yeah. That, I mean, that's also interesting to kind of think of that kind of changing of the generations and it becoming like such a mainstream thing. Like even if we're bringing it back to like who's do, it's like, I, I remember there's the Who's Do video of like them on Joan Rivers show. I saw that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and it felt, it was like, it was presented and it was like just the strange, like it's something from another planet. Well, still, like who would have yeah. even thought about finding a band like that back then? You know, like how would Joan yeah. Rivers bring a band like that? But I do think that was right at the start of like when they had signed to a major label but, or mm-hmm. signed to Warner Brothers, whatever you want to call them. But, I think yeah. that's what got him there. If not, yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, I, in a mainstream capacity, I feel like punk probably still was like, you know, like when you see like punks and like uh, like Star Wars, or sorry, I'll pick that up again, Star Trek Four, you know, or like any of those kind of movies where it's like someone with mohawks and they didn't really have a good understanding of it or like, you know, punks would show up on the show like TJ Hooker or Chips or something. Exactly. And, you know, they're some you know there it's a joke version of it like we know better exactly. you know and then kind of thinking then i guess as your coaching years like it's they knew about green day and essentially like i'm also thinking about the fact that like you're going out with like bad religion like next week and i'm thinking of like flyers that i've seen that are like bad religion headlining with green day opening you mm-hmm. know and then you know it's like now would be the other way but then like it's like you're fist bumping those those kids that grew up on Green Day, but then next week, essentially, you're going out with Bad Religion. You know, the, just that passage of time, you know, is like such a trip with that, you know? Yeah. Like how it's been accepted, you know, from Husker Du up to like where you are right now in 2022. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I've lived that and uh, I've <laughs> experienced that that transition. And, you know, it's uh, it's kind of cool, though. It's kind of cool. Like I have a, I have a 19 year old son 
right? And mm-hmm. and uh, I hear like Fugazi in his band. No, he doesn't like my band. He doesn't like the music I listen to. And he listened to some obscure, weird kind of stuff, you know? And and then I hear like, what's that Fugazi? Is that the Descendants? Is that the Misfits? And somehow that, you know, the music's kind of led him to that. And then I get all excited. I'm like, dude, get over here. Come check this out. And I'll like, I'll play him, you know, the Misfits box set or something. And he's like, well, okay, whatever, dad. I just like the one song, but it's, it's weird to me. Like when I was that age, there was nobody around. Like you were, you stood out wearing mm-hmm. like a pair of Converse high tops. You stood out with a shaved head. And, and it, now it's like, it's just normal. It's totally normal. And, and I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I always thought like, it's like, you're already, you're already kind of like doing yourself quote unquote, a disservice by playing like fast music. So why should I make it like any harder for anyone that truly wants to get into it? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's always wanted it to be whether or not, if everyone wants it is a different thing, but right. like, I always thought it's like, I want to make it as like, as easy for people to get if they choose to get it mm-hmm. you know and so i think that's kind of like what you're talking about it's like you're happy that it's everywhere you know in a sense i am now i think in the beginning i i probably you know uh shielded it a little bit like why are these people i mean i can i can go back as far as going to some shows in la and there'd be guys coming to gigs with like big mullets and you're looking at them like was this like some speed metal guy he's wearing a slayer shirt and you just didn't yeah. see the two crossing, and then it it did, and it yeah, it's all good. It's 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 music, you know. It's for everybody. Yeah. It's supposed to be shared. Yeah, I mean, it's taken me a long time to get to that point mentally. But, yeah, but you know, yeah, like I, I think about uh, we were saying something earlier about like listening to Led Zeppelin, but it's like I think there's a it might be screech and weasel but there's that song i hate led zeppelin yeah yeah and 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 i remember just for a long time because of that song uh other than what i heard on the radio that was almost my mantra and i just didn't question it for a long time yeah and then you know like you were talking about like you know you had friends that would just throw out their records like i remember a memory of like getting like a dollar bin record of uh, like Boston or something and then like burning that in a fire and thinking it was funny. And then eventually we're, you know, touring in our van and we're like, this Boston song rips. Yeah. I wish I had the yeah. record still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, ah, what did I do? Like, I feel so silly. Like doing that with like, even like ELO or something like, ah, this is funny. But then being like, no ELO rips. I, like what was I thinking? I just bought an ELO record in a dollar bin <laughs> the other day. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like it's kind of even that thing that even going back to Who's Do, it's like, you know, they were covering like Eight Mile High mm-hmm. uh, by the birds. And it's like, if only because even like as a younger Who's Do fan, it's like if only I had listened to them in that way earlier, right. like listen to what they're telling me, you know, I think that's kind of what I was saying back, you know, when you were asking about the divide, I, I, I was I was intrigued with that sound overall. Maybe, maybe when I started singing and just like, you know, trying to write music and, and, and that capture that melody, that, that structure. And um, I wish that I would have been more open with the people I was around and forced them to hear that and listen to this, listen to this, we got to do this. And I wonder if we could have created that sound earlier 
in our career instead of waiting until, you know, Bad Religion wrote Suffer or something and said, well, let's jump on this bandwagon now and let's write this kind of music. You know, what? Yeah. it was already in there before. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I could think of like a Kiss song, you know, like Hard Luck Woman or something. And if you just sped that up a little bit and, and Bob or Grant was singing it, it could be a Husker Du song, you know, a little more sloppier and playing, you know, looser. But um, yeah, I wish I would have listened to it a little more open-minded back then as well. Yeah, I I even think about like going back and listening to let's say like Embrace, like you know DC kind of bands, and a lot of it really is like sped up Aerosmith riffs, like because there's so many kind of turnaround bluesish kind of riffs, but it's like they take all the kind of blues out of it, you know. <laughs> but it's it's so much like because you see in documentaries where they talk about how big like Nugent fans they were, Aerosmith fans, and they were just like, well you know, they were kind of like putting it into that context. Like, like you were saying, like, you just couldn't help but have like, who's who's do come out of you. I think in the same way, like with them, with Aerosmith, it's like, even if you put on those kind of blinders, somewhere back here, yeah, it's going to come out somehow, some way it's going to, yeah. In the subconscious mind, it's there and and it's, it's going to rear its ugly head or it's happy head at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and even like kind of thinking then again about I'm so intrigued by that idea of like, I guess, going from a band like Scared Straight really straight into being a professional baseball player. You know, like how did what did your friends think about that or what did like people around you like feel about that? Because it was like 86 to 90, I guess, was the time frame that you were kind of playing with like double a teams and then went into i guess a i'm I'm not sure what the language would be like what what's signified as like professional baseball but i guess all of it all of it's professional baseball yeah and and, yeah you know my my friends at the time were all punk rock guys and we didn't know i mean you know they didn't they didn't really know they weren't sports guys and and so they're like oh hey you're gonna play baseball cool wasn't a big deal um yeah you know so it was like i went and did that and then all of a sudden i came home i was like oh you're back okay we're, we're gonna start jamming that's kind of the way it went and um it, it wasn't a. it was it was kind of hard at the time for me because I, I tried so hard to separate the two and not you know not i was never a jock um, mm-hmm. um but i i enjoyed playing baseball and i actually really started playing when i was in 11th grade so i'd already been on tour i'd done a record been on some compilations i mean i played little league and stuff but i really didn't get serious to it until till 11th grade my junior year in high school and that's when and then my senior year things really took off and i was like well i might have a future doing this and um you know and, and that was at the peak of you know writing and, and skateboarding and playing music and you know playing punk shows on weekends and and um, we had a thriving scene out here in, in the LA area. So it was, it was, uh, I didn't want to be looked at as a sports guy. So I always tried to mm-hmm. kind of hide that. And then, you know, years later when the advent of the internet came and I think that's, you know, just made it easier. It's like, finally I had this weight off my shoulders and I felt like I could talk about it because you already know about it anyway. So I don't have to hide it anymore. And, and um it's amazing how within like a two, three year period with the internet that all of a sudden you could just Google stuff and people would go like, Whoa, what? Look at this. And they'd show me a picture of, you know, like a cut off sleeve shirt, singing a song at the 
somewhere in San Francisco or Santa Cruz or something. And there was no hiding it. There was no avoiding it. So it became, came easier to talk about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I remember like when I was a kid getting into baseball and I wouldn't, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm like the biggest fan of baseball. It's just kind of like, I haven't kept up as much as I'd like to, but like, you always stuck out to me, I guess, like getting into punk and being into baseball as well. Like I was like, just felt like I could point to you as a player and be like, oh, you can like both things because it didn't like as a young punk kid, I wasn't really allowed to, you know, I had to pick one or the other. Yeah. I, you know? I, I live that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> like every baseball guy wants to be in a band. You know, yeah. they all love music, whether it's country, you know, rock, whatever it is, whatever they're into, they all want to be in a band. And and so it's uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, not on a super high level, but, you know, we've been able to stay relevant and maintain what we do and keep our finger in the fire and, you know, musically. And, and I feel like that in itself is an accomplishment, um, you know. And, and, and then to have been able to do both is like, well, it's pretty cool. I haven't had to work. It's, it's a cool job. I've, I, I had a, I had a schedule that I had to work eight months a year doing this. Then I had off time four months where I got to do this. So that's kind of all I've ever known since, since the day I graduated high school. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But you can, yeah, you can do both. You can. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, so how did that kind of, work with you because i guess like at a point with like 10 foot pole there was obviously that kind of decision like we want to do this more full-time than you know baseball is going to allow um and then so you did you just go straight into pulley i mean it feels that way or how did that actually feel on paper so we had been a band for probably well over 10 years at this point and mm -hmm. we, you know, the music kind of started changing a little bit in the early 90s. And we kind of went along with it. And we started writing a little more of that bad religion-y type melodic suffer sound. And we got on Epitaph. And we got on Epitaph. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, man, we're, this is a good label. We're, we have a recognized name. We were getting offers to play a lot of cool gigs. And... I got a phone call. So I went to, I went to leave for baseball in February. And then I got a phone call somewhere around mid summer. And they said, Hey, uh, so we've made a decision. We're going to continue on without you. I was like, really? Well, what? I was like thrown off because in the beginning, I mean, not that it was my band, but I think from the very, very beginning, it was my garage. We jammed in. It was me when we were in seventh grade that was making all the phone calls, trying to organize all these guys to get together and just jam in the garage. And, and it felt like I was being, you know, asked to leave my own band. So that phone call took place, let's say on a Tuesday. So then on Wednesday, I called back again to the guitar player and like kind of still in disbelief, like, is this really happening? And he's like, yeah, we've decided, you know, and, and, and what really kind of, I got a giggle out of was they said, they said, uh, well, we'll be your backup band. We want you to start another band and we'll, we'll stop what we're doing for the four months you're off and we'll be your backup band. And then, you know, we'll continue with 10 foot pole when you've got to work. And I was like, yeah, no. And then I just, yeah. that literally after I hung up the phone with them, I called the drummer and the guitar player and said, mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to start a band. It's going to be about having fun. And are you, are you in? And they were in. 
So yeah, pulley literally started probably within 48 hours of me. At least it started through a phone call. And then physically it started when I got home and we basically wrote a few songs. I played them for Brett at Epitaph. He goes, yeah, it sounds cool. He goes, put together some songs, let's do a record. And so like four months later, we were recording a record and put out our first record. That's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about, because I was writing down, because I was like, I, I'm thinking about the first Pulley song I ever heard. And it was Cashed In from <laughs> Punkorama. And then I was like, okay, so I was like, how many Punkoramas were you all on? And then I was looking at it today and I was Every like. Every one of them. Two, <laughs> all of them. I, was, I wrote it's like i got these little marks on the paper that were like two four and then i was like oh i missed three and i was like, oh yeah i know three you know it's like two all of them yeah and I, you know I, like what a crazy run and i think being able to participate because i think 10 foot pole was on the very first one so i don't think pulley was but pulley was on a lot but i yeah. i want to say that i mean me personally I don't, I don't know who else but i know there was a couple of people we were on every punkorama in some sort of way or another which is pretty cool. I mean, that was a yeah, big compilation back then, you know? Yeah, that was make or break. I mean, it's just everything in that. I feel like if a song from a Punkorama comp comes on, it definitely up to like six probably, you know? Um, and, you know, I could, it's just, I'm going to start singing. Yes, it's just burning yeah. into my brain. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so Cashed In is just like, You've gotten, even just in my mind playing it, it's just played nonstop oh, for all of these years. Yeah, that's you know? cool. So, so yeah, I mean, and I know we jumped around a lot, but, you know, I, that's what, that's what I love doing. And I was thinking about like that early, uh, kind of Nardcore scene and, uh, being straight edge, uh, like, was there a point with like changing from, uh, from, you know, into 10 foot pole, what was that thought of like moving away from straight edge? Like, was there kind of a conscious thing or you just felt like it wasn't something or were you all just not straight edge anymore? I, I'm curious about that. Well, I don't think it was so much about the straight edge as much as it was about, you know, just a different musical direction. We had put out music previously for 12 years under this name and mm -hmm. we were looking to do something new. And I think it was like, we need to change it. We actually recorded our first 10 foot pole record as scared straight. And, yeah. and then it got printed. I think we made like 1500 of them or something. And we went to Kinko's and made a little sticker that said 10 foot pole. And we put it over the cover and then we crossed out everything on there. It was just, an, it was just an effort of trying to start fresh and start new and, and, and not be attached to something that had been in the scene for, you know, at least locally for 10 years. And it was just a fresh start. That's really kind of the mindset that was behind the whole thing was this is a new band. It's kind of a new direction in music. That's what we're going to do. And that, that was more than anything was just kind of starting fresh. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to kind of, you know, talk about, so you have a new record coming out, correct? We do. Yeah. It's called the golden life. It's coming out on spam records here. Uh, about another week. So when that comes out too, you're going on, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but you're going on tour with uh, Bad Religion starting, what, May 18th? We have some shows in, in, with Bad Religion, Melon Colin. Um, I think Suicidal's playing a couple of the gigs as well. And then we oh, uh, wow. and then we hook up to uh, another part of Europe and we play some shows with Pennywise. And then we get on some of those punk and drublick festivals with God knows how many bands. Um, yeah. And then uh, 
you know, we play a couple of shows on our own and then we go into Eastern Canada and on our way back. And we have a few shows like Toronto, Montreal, Quebec. We play a festival in Quebec. So got a decent little schedule here ahead of us with some uh, really good shows that I'm kind of looking forward to. Yeah. And so um, are you completely done with like coaching uh, baseball or? Well, I don't know if you're ever done or if you can officially say that until, <laughs> until you're dead. Um, I've been helping out some high school teams. I, I help out this uh, collegiate summer league uh, starts like in mid June or something when I get back. Um, but no, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever completely be done at some sort of level, you know, professionally. I'm not. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think it's interesting. So you feel like really both parts of you, it's like, cause I even thinking about, let's say like Milo, uh, from descendants, it's, it feels like he's, I guess he's not working as a scientist anymore and he's just doing descendants full time. So it's like, but you feel drawn, I guess, to always kind of have baseball as part of your life and pulley, you know, when time allows for sure. Um, you know, uh, I mean, baseball is a part of my life and it's given me and my family, you know, everything, the roof over our heads. So, um, I, I feel like it's one of those, uh, things where you, you, I don't want to say obligation, but there's definitely, I want to give back and I enjoy, Mm -hmm. I enjoy helping people who want to be helped and, and, you know, respect and listen. Um, you know, there's a lot of know-it-alls out there in the world, but I enjoy, uh, the last couple of years at, at a, at a lower level where it's just pure and genuine and the kids are really interested and, you know, it's really tough to, there's nothing better than the highest level of any sort of competitive something. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's tough sometimes when you're trying to draw from experience or talk to somebody and help them on a, you know, go down a path and survive over the course of a six month roller coaster ride of a season. You know, they're making 10, 12, $15 million and they really don't listen. They don't care. Um, and they might have their own private coaches, you know, outside of the team, which is kind of a new thing now. But, you know, getting back to like Sandlot type baseball where the, you know, kids still come with dirty uniforms and it's like, it's just cool. It's, it just brings me back like full circle. And, and I feel like that kind of makes you complete. And, um, you know, if, 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 I, if time allows, I'll, I'll be a part of it. I, I don't really necessarily go out of my way to uh, say, you know, I can't do something during a certain time of year, but I, I will always try to make an effort to be around and help out, you know, the next generation of players. If, if, if it allows me to, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've always like heard that about you. Kind of, I think like as people growing up as a fan of you as a player, I always felt like you were like a fan favorite. You know, like you were always felt like you were like grounded. Like as you know, opposed to not even opposed to other baseball players, but that it's always something I want to give you a big credit for. You know, and kind of the idea of like giving back. You also you own a skate park. I did for 21 years. Um, I, I opened up a skate park in my local town here and, and it, you know, it lasted for 21 years. It was pretty, it's a good run. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you've seen all around the country, all these free parks that have popped up and, um, you know, skateboarding culture has grown and, and um, it's just been more accessible for kids. So the private, you know, public park where you, you know, had to pay a few bucks to get in, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to survive. And, 
you know, I don't want to say it was a money pit, but I put a lot back into that and to try to keep it going. It just got to a point where it was like, you know what, unfortunately, we just don't, our, our city opened up a public free park and we just don't have the, mm-hmm. we don't have the support to keep it going. And, and we had the interest, the kids wanted to come, but it's just, you know, it just kind of, it just, it's time ran out. Yeah. I mean, with skate parks, I knew growing up, it felt like if you could almost survive like a couple years, it was like a badge of honor. So 21 years is we're proud of that. Amazing. For sure. Yeah. So that's definitely something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, you know, about Husker Du and about your career and about Pulley in general. So, you know, thank you. Well, I want to thank you for the compliment of being grounded because I want to tell you that's probably the best compliment ever. Um, you know, and uh, if you ever want to talk about Husker Du, if you ever want to, do you play an instrument, I'm assuming? You were in a band? Yes. I, yeah, I play bass. We'll, we'll, jam, we'll, we'll jam some yeah. Husker Du. How about that? You can be yeah, yeah. Greg and I'll be Bob and we'll find a grant and we'll, we'll jam. <laughs> I Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. Anytime. Anytime you're in North Carolina or, you know, you just invited me, so I'm going to fly out to Southern California. I don't know where you live, but I'll, I'll, I'll pick I'll you up. Scream man. Just fly to LAX time. and let me know the date and I'll pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yep. Sounds like a plan. All right. Welcome back. Thanks again to Scott for coming on the pod. Like I said at the top, it was a huge honor. And as you heard, maybe we'll jam on some Who's Screw covers together one day. Or maybe not. Okay, pick up the new Pulley album, The Golden Life. It's really good. So check that out now, wherever you buy music. Next time on the pod, we're talking with my best friend of probably 20 plus years, Will Pull. You may know him as Waffle House on Twitter, or from his appearances on Daily Zeitgeist. We also do a podcast together called George Center, so probably there too. We talked about the Fuji's 1996 album, The Score, so stay tuned next week. Once again, check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you do that sort of thing. Reviews definitely help. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.